be willing to be a fool in the land of the unknowns. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassin behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Will Rattel. Coach Rattel is an assistant strength conditioning coach at the University of North Dakota, as well as the co-host of the Barbell Nerds podcast, which is how I got connected with him. We went into our normal rabbit holes of open agility and play, and I loved his thoughts on this and how he goes about balancing this with his strength training. We also talked about how to stay connected as a coach with your athletes and kind of what they're going through. And I, I found it really interesting in talking with Coach. And I loved his approach on allowing success to dictate the technique. And we talked a little bit about having a linebacker drop three yards over and over and over and again in a drill. And then in a game, that, that slant round is right at five yards. And if that, if that athlete isn't adaptable enough, if that linebacker doesn't make that play and make that interception – then it's going to be a touchdown. It's going to be a first down for the offense. And if he is adaptable and he makes that play, then everybody praises him for being unorthodox, praises him for being a playmaker. And yet we practice and continually teach our athletes to be very strict, to not really follow the rules of the game and what leads to winning, but to follow the rules of what looks good to us. And I I just love this podcast and coaches rabbit holes and the things that we went down. So hopefully you guys get something out of this. Thank you guys for listening. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Shit, I'm excited, man. I've been following your stuff for four or five months now. I reached out to you a while ago and got you on mine. So, yeah, I'm excited for this now. Yeah, doing some uh, background research just so you guys know who you're listening to right here. Uh, I was just doing back some background research, looking up some of the articles you're writing just to get some good questions and kind of where your head's at. And I pull up this little highlight tape you had. And I see you sack number 11 of NDSU. I'm like, holy shit, like this guy's sacking Carson Wentz right now. Like this guy's a dog. Yeah, those days are gone though, man. But yeah, still still trying to be as athletic as I can. Um, but yeah, th- those are some fun times back in college playing playing some ball. Hell yeah, I love that. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Kind of that little bit of football background, a little bit of how you got to where you're at today and kind of the mindset piece to get there? Yeah, so I'll kind of just start it back to when I was really young. So I'm a, I, I'm a meathead. All I want to do, all I ever want to do, even to this day, but back when I was younger, especially is just go play sports. Um, so growing up, my parents had a, like a patio in our backyard with a basketball. Hoop. I could go out there at 8 a.m., play basketball from eight to noon, come in, have some lunch, go back out at one, one in the afternoon, play until 8 p.m., come back, have some dinner, and then go back on and play until dark. And that's, that's really where it, it all started. So I grew up playing basketball, tennis, football, hockey, baseball, soccer, you name it, just any sport. Um, I grew up playing and that's all I've ever wanted to do in my life. Like growing up, just go play sports. If I'm bored, go play sports. Um, my parents put me in every, every league possible from, uh, age of five years old. And that's really how I am now. Like I'm still just a meathead that just wants to go play sports. Um, all, like if I'm bored on a Sunday, I'll just go into the weight room and I'll, I'll dick around for four to five hours, either grinding out heavy weights, or like jumping over hurdles or like trying to balance on like a medicine ball and juggle, like do, just doing dumb stuff. That's fun and creative. Kind of like the same stuff you, you post on your Instagram all the time. Like that's, that's all I ever really want to do. And so being a strength and conditioning coach, I didn't even know you could do that <laughs> until I was like a sophomore or a junior in college. 
and I was playing football at UND and it just, it randomly hit me that, holy shit, we have strength and conditioning coaches that run our workouts. Like I didn't, it just didn't hit me, you know, until I got to that point that that was actually an occupation or profession you could get into. And so um, I got my degree in kinesiology and got my master. I just finished my master's in kinesiology um, this past spring. And yeah, I guess I don't even know where I'm going with this, but like my, my passion is just playing sports and I always wanted to be involved with sports. Um, I kind of had a little bit of a on and off career in the NFL and CFL. And I got to a point where um, I was getting signed, getting cut, getting signed, getting cut, that it kind of came to a point where I need to figure out, am I going to keep pursuing NFL and CFL and professional football and just living in this land of the unknown, not knowing where I'm going to sleep, if I'm going to sleep in a hotel next week, or I'm going to sleep in my apartment next week, or if I'm going to cut that out and like hunker down and actually find a real career path for me. And um, yeah, I guess that's, that's where I'm at now. And I'm at UND. Love it here. I love Grand Forks. Um, I love the school here. I, I went to school here. Um, so it's, it's cool coaching at a school I went to. Um, so I have a lot of passion and a lot of pride in this place. And yeah, that's where I'm at now working with volleyball players, basketball players, tennis players, and football players. So um, loving where I'm at right now. I love that. And I, I think we have a very similar kind of mindset, a lot of peace in the way we talk this is where I kind of got that vibe when we were on your podcast, but like yeah. we, we, we both coaches coach at schools that we went to, like we both have that experience of like that coaching job just means just a little bit more to you. You think that, you know, mm -hmm. like you just have that little bit of, like you said, pride for that school and what it means. And also kind of the, the thought process of, I don't know if it's a flow state, but just the, the constant, like, and I, I call it myself, like an addiction, just to being able to want to move or to want to play, to want to compete. Like, I, I think that's so cool talking to you about that because it's something that somebody on the outside looks out at this. And this is right. You, you hear like some of the older coaches that like shit on like the, the, the coach that's just doing their own lifting and that type of stuff. And I was like, that that's where I draw upon. Like, that's where I learn so much about the field, you know, like is yeah. experimenting myself and just being in their flow state. Like, Oh, this program's working. That program's working. This, uh, this exercise works that one. I don't really like. And then it's kind of like uh, using yourself as a little bit of a, a test rat. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I definitely, so I, I mess around all the time in the weight room just myself, and it definitely gives me a little bit of a gauge on whether or not I should implement something with my athletes. I'm a lot more conservative when I'm programming for my athletes because you don't want someone to do something and get, get hurt, which I've had happen before, which wasn't a very good look for me, but you learn from that stuff. So um, yeah, dude, there's, I don't think there's anything more fun, anything better to do with your time than to just go into it doesn't even have to be a weight room. Go find open space and just explore your physical capabilities. Um, go jump around, go balance on something. Like there's nothing, there's just nothing more fun to me than doing something like that. And then finding a group of people who are like-minded and enjoy doing that stuff as well. And just going, going in and having a blast doing it. It's just the, the endocrine system responds to that in such a positive way. Like the testosterone boost you get from it, all the hormonal responses you get from just having fun while performing physical activity you know like uh, like I've talked about it before a lot of people I guess I shouldn't say a lot of people but you get people who may be in their mid-40s mid-50s they have a nine-to-five job they go to work and they they work out three to four times a week they go to work during the day they come home it's five o'clock in in the afternoon or at night whatever and they know that they have to do some sort of physical activity for their health benefit and they just go into the gym 
and they go on the elliptical for 45 minutes and they just you know monotonous going through the motions and obviously if, if people do that there's nothing wrong with that at all like good for you getting your exercise in but then think about how much better of a response they're going to get if they were to just go play a game like go play spike ball go play pickleball and have fun and get into different positions and challenge yourself and laugh and have fun and make fun of your friends who are doing stupid shit too. Like, I, I'm just, that's like I said, that's all I, that's all I want to do. I just have so much fun doing like goofing off and doing, doing goofing off and playing sports and doing stupid shit, you know? Yeah. And I, like you, you talked about that, that Olympic elliptical kind of approach to fitness. And I, like, I, I wrote about this the other day and I keep thinking about it, but like calling it kind of the, the zombie apocalypse of like kind of the fitness realm, because you said like, it's something they kind of have to do. And, it, and it, that's how it's like kind of ingrained to where if you approach it in the way of staying connected, you know, like, and I think that's a twofold, like staying connected. If you're outside of this field, staying connected to what your body's saying, what your body's doing, like why you're lifting, why you're moving that way, why you want to play that game and doing something like that, staying connected in that realm. But I also wanted to touch on something a little bit of like, if you're in this field, like staying connected to what your athletes are actually going through. And I think that's, I think that's something like a lot of times we as strength coaches get disconnected from is we never actually understand what our athletes are going through anymore because we're not putting ourselves through it. Like maybe the last time we did something athletic or we entered a flow state or did, we really pushed our bodies. Like you said, trying to discover what your body's able to do was a long, long time ago. And then we're still writing up these programs. We're still doing these things and still trying to trying to lead people into pushing their bodies without ever actually understanding what that means to ourselves. And it, I just feel like there's a disconnect many times in that, in that realm of we're, we're not staying connected. What a, that ash, athletes actually feeling, what that athlete's actually going through, what that program's actually going to make that athlete do. Yeah. And I guess I don't have a solution for that because um, I, I guess I don't know how your training sessions go if they're before practice after practice what uh, the kids that you work with what their class schedules like and all that but um like most of my teams train after practice and so like for example the, the tennis group i work with they're on the court from 2 30 to 4 30 and sometimes it lasts a little bit longer than 4 30 you know and they come into the weight room and our our lifting time is 5 30 and they're dragging their feet and i'm thinking shit, I was going to have them trap our three sets of sit, whatever it is. And you just, I know, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it because you're never going to go tell the sport coach don't do X, Y, Z with them because I'm not a tennis coach. I don't know what to do at practice. Maybe they might be practicing 100% perfectly. And I don't know because I, I don't know tennis. And so like, you just have to adjust on the fly and develop the relationship, develop trust between you as a coach and most of the athletes and come up with some sort of strategy to still get the most out of the training and get the stimulus that you want without overdosing and without underdosing. And honestly, I don't think anyone's really figured that out. Um, some people probably make it out to seem easier than it is, but like, we're all just trying to figure it out together. And some people are going to respond differently than other people. Like some kids who can, who could, run a marathon and still be good to go might have a hard tennis practice and come into the weight room and feel ready to, to bang out some weights. And some don't, you know, like, um, you just, yeah, I don't have an answer for that. I think the best way to approach it is have a good, um, relationship with definitely like the captains of the team, but even, even more than that, like 
try to have a good relationship with most of most of the athletes where you can I don't want to say individualize because that's not always logistically possible when you're working at a team setting but have the ability to modify where modifications need to be made you know yeah and you said you don't have an answer for it but I think you do because you said adjust and apply <laughs> I feel like that is the answer to it just in my head but what's where I feel like a lot of times it goes wrong is and I think and correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like your ability to be open to adjust on the fly is because you know what that feels like to come in and lift after practice, you know, or you know what that feels like. And you understand the look that athlete has because you have that same energy look like, you know, like, and that's where I talk about like staying connected as a coach yourself is like, you understand what that athlete, he come, coming from that two hour practice. Like you, you've taken the thought process of, all right, he just came from that. He looks like this. My perfect program isn't perfect anymore. So now we're going to adjust and change. And I think that's super powerful and like you said it's not individualizing everything it's not being the pushover coach to like all right we're just not going to do anything today is that type of, it's yeah. like having to set enough foundation but also being able to guide that athlete through that path and staying connected and I feel like the disconnected coach and this is what I've seen in some high schools and some older college coaches is that athlete will come and beat up their program in their heads is perfect already. So they're just going to roll yeah. through that program. Yep. Yep. Snap, snap. Yep, like we're going to yep. do it. Yell at you a little bit more. And then you just get that destroyed athlete for the rest of the week. Yeah. And I think uh, this might come off uh, kind of arrogant or whatever, but I think my experience might make me sometimes not good at modifying because I, like I said, at the beginning, I'm a meathead. All I like, I love training. I love lifting heavy. So even when I was in college, if I was having a hard day or a hard week, my outlet was going and lifting, you know? And so like, maybe sometimes I'm not as empathetic towards the people who don't respond the same way I would respond. But yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I think for a lot of people, God, I don't even know where I'm going with this. But like I said, all I, all I want to do when I'm stressed out is go lift, go move some heavy weight, go run, go jump around. And so maybe my experience of the way I think about training or the way I feel about training and lifting and whatever makes it harder for me to adjust for some people who don't feel the same way about training as I do. Does that make sense? And yeah, I, I don't I mean, know if that was very articulate or not, but that's kind of the way my mind's working right now. No, and I, I love that point because I'm very much the same way. But for me, it seemed because this was a huge adjustment for me is I didn't really understand that when I first started coaching, you know, and I, I, like you said, like, I'm not, it's not like, I'm saying this, it's not like I'm perfect in any realm. Like I'm fair. I feel like I'm very much in your same shoes as well. It's like, that's what I did for stress relief. That's still what I do for stress relief is I go in there and I, I do this type of movement, but like kind of my, my evolution as a coach is under now I understand that's what I do. And that's not what everybody does, you know? And I think like yeah. you brought it up, how you have that understanding. Cause I think that's powerful is if you don't have that understanding, you just think, what like my initial thoughts when I first started coaching is like, oh, that guy's lazy, you know, like, oh, that guy yes. just doesn't want it. That's like, he's not doing the grind and that type of like, and I was like, taking a step back and realizing like, wait a minute, like, I, I just liked lifting, you know, like, it wasn't like I was mentally tougher than anybody. You know, it was just like, that was my enjoyment, like his enjoyment is somewhere else. And now we just got to find a way to bridge the gap and get the most out of that athlete. Yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with that uh, more. Um, I think I have nothing to add because you said it perfectly. Like that was, that's my personality. And I, I too had the same kind of response where, well, this kid just doesn't care. This kid just doesn't try. This kid doesn't want it. And I, I still probably do that to some extent and just do the best you can with, with the athletes you have, you know? 
Yeah. And now I want to kind of cover, so we, we, we talked about your background a little bit and a little bit of the, like the why behind this, but now what kind of is your X's and O's? Like what kind of is your kind of broad picture approach to training? Like how, how are we getting this wrong in the field? How, how do you think we need to go forward in the field? Like what's kind of your approach? Yeah. So I, I'm constantly like changing my opinion on so many things, which I guess could be good or bad depending on how you look at it. But I think currently where I'm at right now is I, I would say most college athletes are not at that, you know, quote unquote, quote unquote, strong enough phase or level. And I think, let me, let's back that up. Our, our, our job as strength and conditioning coaches is number one, to prepare them for the physical uh, components or the physical demands of their sport. But beyond that, I think what's even maybe more important is just to teach exercise. And I mean that in the, like the most basic way, teach them different exercise variations, teach them, you know, uh, expose them to different uh, training cycles, mesocycles, maybe a triphasic phase, maybe a West side phase, um, maybe a starting strength type uh, programming style. So that when they get to the point, cause they're not all going to go pro and you want them to have an experience in the weight room or training that they can take with them beyond four years of college. And so, so let's, I'll back it up again, I guess. Uh, so I do a little bit of like online personal training as well. And I've had people reach out to me, like former teammates of mine who are in their late twenties and they reach out and say, Hey, can you like write up a program for me? I've gotten out of shape. I haven't trained in however long, two to three years. I just feel like I don't know what I'm supposed to do in the weight room anymore. Like, can you write something for me? And the way I think about it is, well, as a coach, I don't want that to happen. I want, I want them to know what kind of exercise they enjoy, know what kind of exercise they don't enjoy. I want them to know different types of exercise variations so that it's not monotonous for them so that their adherence and their compliance and their intensity and their frequency remains high. I want them to know that I want them to know how to limit lift. I want them to know how to do the basic barbell movements so that maybe when they get to 30 years old and they haven't trained for a while, they have the confidence and that they're competent enough to go to a CrossFit gym and fit in and not feel embarrassed, go to a lifetime fitness and fit in and not feel embarrassed, go to an anytime, go wherever, you know what I mean? Maybe just go to like a garage type gym, know what they're supposed to do, not feel embarrassed and have the confidence in them to continue um, exercising. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like you said, it's giving them these tools. Yeah, exactly. Just get, expose them to as many circumstances as possible to give them the tools for them to be autonomous and make their own decisions later on in life so that they can stay healthy. Yeah. And I, I love that point. I, I, I want to ask then if, if let's, let's say like a freshman comes in, like, is there a balance between like working with a freshman or a difference working with a freshman, working with a senior, like are with that freshman, is it less autonomy, more give them the tools, show them the outline. This is all the things that we have and kind of running them through these programs to whereas if you have that senior now, do they have more freedom? Like what's kind of your approach with that to now, like the seniors have been exposed to all these tools. Now you let them pick which ones work with them. Like how, how do you approach and navigate that area? Yeah, absolutely. Give the seniors more autonomy. So I'll give you a, a little um, story or an example here. So with the basketball team I work with, there's two seniors that I trust. Like I could, I could give them the workout, leave, leave the weight room for 45 minutes. And I know that they've done everything that they had to do. 
they did it to like their fullest uh, capabilities, best effort, all that. So both of both of these guys I'm talking about, we have to modify because they have some nagging pain, nagging injuries that just certain exercises, maybe a bar in a certain place, makes them uncomfortable for certain things. So for example, uh, one guy, I'll give him a shout out. His name's Bentu, who's a basketball player. He does not feel comfortable doing um, barbell good mornings or barbell RDLs. I trust him. He knows all of the hinging type movements that we've done because I've been with him now for two years. We've done so many different variations of like hinging movements, barbell RDL, single leg RDL, um, RDL on slide board, single leg good morning, whatever, just all of them, where if we program RDL for him, I don't, I don't, I just give him the autonomy to say, Bentu, you can go do what you need to do or make your own modification for this. I'm not even going to worry about you. You do your thing. You figure out the sets and reps. That's going to make it challenging get you the stimulus you need. Whereas a freshman, I want to have the discuss the conversation with them when something's bothering them and give them, Hey, RDL is bothering you today. Here's what we can do. We can do a single leg RDL. We can do a slide board leg curl. We can do like a good morning with a band around your, like standing on a band, put the band around your neck. We can do like a Zercher RDL where you're just loading it in a little bit different position. And then from there, gradually allow them to start making those decisions for themselves without my consent or my guidance, if that makes sense. No, and I, I love that, that kind of approach. And this is something I'm interested in diving in with you because you have that football background and from most football programs I've been through, it's it, the autonomy is not your option. You know, like it's, right. this is what's going like, you have the football starting coach yelling at you and that's, that's kind of your approach. I'm wondering what kind of your eye opener to allow that into your programs, like was like, where did you kind of start to approach this in the taking a step back and being able to give those options rather than the like, yell, 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 go, go, go approach. Yeah. So I'll just bring it up now because I know you're going to ask me about a book that I recommend and I just, I got it right here. It's called drive by uh, Daniel pink. I'd recommend everyone go uh, read this book, but it's all about um, it kind of dives into like the psychology of motivation and humans are a lot more complex than negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, this uh, binary way of thinking about positive, negative, good, bad, right, wrong. Um, and it kind of gives a story about, the company Google and how Google allows their employees, I can't remember the exact details, but Google allows their employees like an hour or two hours of their work time to work on their own projects that Google doesn't get credit for. And Google feels like allowing their employees to do something like that gives the employees or allows the employees to work better and work harder and more efficiently on the Google projects. And so when I read that book, it just hit me like, maybe I shouldn't just give all of these structured regulations for the athletes I work with. And maybe I should just give them a little bit of autonomy and it starts gradually. Like if they don't come in day one and I say, choose your exercise, but like, Hey, we're going to squat today. Front squat, back squat, safety bar squat, box squat. Those are your four options. Figure out which one you like, figure out which one you don't like and go with that from there. And then over time that uh, just expands. Yeah. And then with this like autonomy based approach to where you were trying to keep the goal, the goal. And this is something where I, I think when I, I talk to a lot of coaches that are interested in maybe changing their program just a little bit, or kind of adding some of these things in adding some athlete cho choices in how, how do you approach 
keeping that goal, like, like setting a goal and not, and maybe this is a little bit of the yin and yang part of this, but to where it's not just willy nilly, you know, like it's not just walk in there, like throw yourself around, do whatever sets reps, like anything like that, as well as not being so structured that you can't break out of the box. Like how do you balance those two things into, this is our goal today. Like, this is what we want for our stimulus. This, this is how we plan on getting there, but here's like, how do you, how do you balance all that? Yeah. So it's actually funny you asked that because yesterday with the tennis group I was with, um, so when I, a year ago, basically a year ago, the group I had was just awful, like totally undisciplined, like didn't give a shit, would just goof off the whole time, would talk when I'm talking, whatever. So I had kind of had to become a drill sergeant for a little bit just to establish some order. And so, uh, yeah, yesterday I said to the, I said to the team, Hey guys, I don't want to be a drill sergeant. You don't want me to be a drill sergeant, but it can't be total anarchy, like total libertarian, free to do whatever you want, no restrictions either. So I'm, I'm telling them, this is the reminder that I'm giving you some constraints, but I'm giving you some freedom. Don't abuse it or we will go back to that drill sergeant. You know what I mean? And so how do I manage it? Just constant reminders saying, hey guys, don't get it. Don't get to the point where it's too loosey goosey, where I have to call out every set, every rep. You don't breathe unless I tell you to breathe kind of thing. Um, you don't blink unless I tell you to blink kind of thing. Like nobody wants that. I don't want that. Coaches don't want to do that. They don't want that. They already get that from the teachers in their classrooms. They get that from the, the, the sport coaches on the court, on the field. Um, I don't want to be that way. That's not my personality anyways. So I guess it's just once the because it's a spectrum right like drill sergeant way over here total anarchy no regulations over here and it's always going to be a sliding scale depending on the athletes you have and if it starts to slide a little too loosey-goosey maybe you just limit the options or maybe you go a week or two weeks where there's no options and it's back to doing xyz 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 and then you feel like it's starting to mellow back a little bit then you can open it back up and I love the ability then to slide, you know, I think that's so important. Yeah. Because I have very much the same as like, and I think in our program, I, I, I would say it's very, it was almost a little bit on the opposite side. Like the guys were too robotic and this is cause this is different. Like I, I have two different worlds, the Yoakum strength world, you, you get some athletes where it's like too chaos, like talking yeah. like, and that's where you got to set the order. You got to set, and you have to have the ability to do that. Like that, that's part of this. You have to have the ability to make sure that athletes on track, they understand what we're doing. We're creating a little bit of rules for them. Like this is so you can grab onto something. It's not just yeah. all chaos. And then going into the, the football realm where they have, a, they have a very good culture. Everything was like almost too robotic, you know, like it was like whatever yeah. I said went no matter what, like even if I was wrong, like it was going to go like they would all <laughs> run through walls. And I was like, all right, like guys, like let's, let's take a deep breath here. Like let's go a little bit on the other side of things and yeah. like let's get some freedom in our life. Let's, and it, it's just funny because on both ends of it, it's almost like, microdosing what they don't have and to see the stimulus and how they react to that. Like that's where the growth, like they don't need more of the one end of it. And you just have to figure out where your athletes are at because they don't need more of that. Like they didn't need more people to yell at them. They didn't need, like you said, like they had teachers and classes and coaches doing that for them. They needed more of this. And once they get that little stimulus, like the growth that they had, that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And then on the other end of things, like the private sector, some, some of the teams that you had, like, they don't need any more freedom, man. Like they, they aren't told what to do. So now you give them some like strictness and then you get to see that side of the growth. Yeah. And this is actually where I get kind of conflicted too, because with like the online training clients that I have, they want me to tell them they want answers. You know what I mean? 
but I honestly, like, I don't feel comfortable always giving answers. Like I want to give, I want you to have the logic, the logic pattern behind why the answer is what it is, but I want you to kind of figure it out on your own. And so like when I'm programming for people and they ask me like specifically, why is this exercise in there? Like, why is it a dumbbell bench press instead of a barbell bench press? dude, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a upper body pressing exercise that hits the same musculature. And I mean, if you want to change it to a barbell bench press, barbell bench press, I don't care. So like, you know what I mean? Like when I'm working with like the online clients, they want it to be, they want the answers because if I, if I give them, if I give them an answer that isn't like definite and I give them the, like the theory or like, you know, it doesn't really matter kind of answer, then they're like, well, why am I paying? You know what I mean? So like, you got to really find out where that sweet spot is. Yeah. And I work with online clients and I, I have the same exact, same exact thing, like same exact experience. And, and it's, I mean, it's a, it's the kind of, um, it's the, the very analytical athlete too. Like I have noticed that a lot with the analytical athlete is you tell an analytical athlete like that, like even to do variations or to do like, you give them some freedom and that guy is like, no, like what exercise should I do? Right. Like, right. One, you know, like he wants the direction and, I think there's, there's benefits to both. Like sometimes giving him like, all right, he's analytical. Like, let's give him the cookie of we're going to do this today. And he's like, and then he feels really good. Like, yes, this is our set platform. And then sometimes challenging him a little bit. And obviously it's different with online clients. I like, don't challenge online clients as much just because they're paying for it. But right. uh, the, the athlete of no, like let's today, like, even though you don't enjoy it, let's today, like be a little creative. Like let's get out of that comfort zone a little bit yeah. and kind of explore some things. Well, and I think that's important too, because you want like if I don't know what the exact ratio you want as far as the wins and losses goes, but like you want the athlete to have wins. So it boosts confidence. Um, they get some sort of like hormonal response and it's going to drive like compliance and adherence and it's going to drive their intensity higher, but you also want them to have some losses too. So you want them to challenge themselves, get out of the box too. So they know where their limit at, where their limit is. And then they can push that limit farther and farther, you know? So like it's yeah, like, you want wins and you want losses. You probably want more wins than losses, but like feed them, feed them what they want and then feed them some of what they don't want and what they're not good at too. Cause that's, that's probably going to drive more adaptation in, in some ways than getting all these wins and like doing things that they're really good at. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and making sure, like you said, like it can't always be a win because then it's not really a win, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. if, if you don't lose, it's, it's that, that win is just kind of base level. Yeah. Um, I read your article on agility and we, we talked about it a little bit uh, on your podcast, but I'm interested in your approach to some of the small sided games and agility that goes into a field-based athlete, goes into everything that goes into agility and not so much just kind of that three cone drill where you talked about like, sometimes there's a benefit of the three cone drill. You can use it as a deload, but a lot of times you're missing that stimulus of when your goal is to go from point A to point B and from B to C, but B and C are always changing and moving and you have to process so many things. What's yeah. kind of your approach to implement that ability to process, move and get into the positions they need to get into? Yeah. So I don't only do like the open-ended or like chaotic type agility. Like we do some closed um, agility drills because like, like you said, like it could be used during a deload week. Um, you can use it as a way to like, work on applying certain forces or working on some sort of technical aspect of movement, whatever. And that can be debated or not, but I don't think that it's totally useless. Um, but then at the same time, I also don't like the argument that you need to progress 
to like an open agility drill you know like what's the art like what do they say you need to have so much of like a a uh, like a heavy some sort of a squat compared to your body weight before you can do plyometrics and it's like dude four-year-old kids are jumping off jungle gyms like depth drops from eight feet high that's such bullshit you know what i mean and <laughs> i don't think you need to progress into the open-ended stuff either now maybe maybe if you're with a football team and you got 80 guys out on the field at the same time and it's the first week back after christmas break and they probably haven't done anything for four to five weeks yeah maybe you just do like the closed agility drills for two weeks just to get them back into the, to moving again sure I'm, that's i'm not against any closed or open whatever i think with my approach we keep it in all year round for the most part unless it's during season and we have to like they're getting so much of that um, perception action coupling from practice on the court for two hours that we just come into the weight room we get our our quick lift in but like we keep it in pretty much year round with the teams that I work with and I, I don't really see much of a reason to regress back to like a closed agility drill for the most part and like so I work so for volleyball a lot of the volleyball agility is reading through a net reading a ball reading your teammates in front of you like for a defensive specialist or libero reading your teammates in front of you positioning positioning yourself um to make the dig for the most part and it's a lot of just quick side to side movements maybe you're stepping forward a little bit and it's really it's a mirror category so like nick demarco at elon categorizes i can't remember all the categories he has for his um agility sessions but it's really a lot of mirroring in volleyball so a lot of what we do is just mirror drills and it's mirror drills with a projection mirror drills with an obstruction in front of you and like a mirror drill where maybe you're turned, you got your back turned to your opponent. It's a lot of just, I don't even know if I'm answering your question right now, but a lot of just reacting to your opponent and your teammates. And it's not only reacting to your opponent, it's reacting to your teammates too, because they're giving you the, the visual cues on how fast you should move. Because maybe, maybe you should just be walking or maybe you should be jogging. It's not always like sprint. You know what I mean? That's not how sports is played. Um, maybe you should just kind of side shuffle quickly and then turn into uh, a quick acceleration. Um, yeah, I guess I try to, it's a lot of what you, do, what you post on your Instagram too, Austin, like just, I give them the, the, the goal of the drill and say, here's your goal, go win, like go figure out a way to be successful. If that means you have to run in a straight line, run in a straight line. If that means you got to curve or if that means you got to slowly like accelerate into something, whatever, like here's your goal, go figure out a way to be successful. I don't yeah. know. And, and to watch the athletes solutions to that problem, you know, like, yeah. It, and, and it's all like, I shouldn't say always, but a lot of times their solutions are not what's being taught. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I guess, I think like Lee Taft has been a, a great driving force in like the plyo step or the false step and saying, Hey, look, I'm not going to teach it, but I'm not, but I'm going to endorse it. And if I see an athlete false step, like, cool, it's going to make them faster in that situation. The reason they're, they're doing a false step in the first place is because it's kind of, it's required for them to be successful in that context, you know? So I think letting, I think letting just athletes be athletes is better than trying to overcoach and cue shin angles, knee angles, whatever, plant your foot here, pivot here. It just, when I was playing football, um, I was a linebacker and always like, you have a pole drop, we'll say, and they would always say like, 
move three yards this way, then plant on your right leg and pivot and then drive off that list. Like that doesn't actually happen though. So, so one, you're training bad habits that don't actually happen or two, we're just wasting our time because we're doing things that we don't actually do in games. You know yeah. what I mean? And I mean, that's I think football is probably, and uh, it's, I guess just the biggest culprit of it because I watch it as much as I do, but you watch some of the drills and like you said, like it's three yard drop here. It's like, well, that slant went five yards. Like, yeah, do you not want your, and then it's funny because like the coach will reward the announcers reward the people reward that, that unorthodox athlete that dropped five yards and picked that ball <laughs> off and scored. But in practice, they would have got yelled at for that, right. you know? So like, where, like, where's that disconnect, you know, like how, how are we approaching our training and reward systems with what we actually want to see on game day? And that's, that's where it's almost it, like, let the athlete play the game and see how, yeah, see how he figures it out. And if it's a competitive athlete, it can almost, like if you're not a competitive athlete, you're probably not going to be on the field regardless. Like athletes are yeah. competitive. They're, they're going to figure out the solution to the problem. Right. And so I'm sure you've read the book game changer, like the Fergus Connolly book. And he, the, I think the greatest, I'm going to misquote it, but like the greatest quote that I took from that book is like allowing success to dictate technique instead of allowing it, instead of practicing technique to hopefully then lead to success. You know what I mean? Like figure out what works and then do that. Don't try to engineer what you think will work or what the best approach is. And then hopefully that's going to lead to success. Yeah. Now I'm interested in how you approach the creation of these small sided mirror type games. Is there, do you have like a set standard of these are the games we're going to work up? Uh, is there, you see something that the athletes are struggling with through the net? Like how, how do you approach kind of what your goal is for that day through that small sided uh, type game? And then how do you go about the creation of these games? Very similar to you. Like I come up with the, the game and then if they have a better idea, I let, that, I let them run with it. Uh, but yeah, like, shit man I guess it's a little bit random like here's here's what your goal is here's your opponent this is what your opponent's goal is and then you're maybe you're going to have a third party and a fourth party um trying to set a screen or obstruct your vision or obstruct some aspect of you being able to make the read that you want to read and you have I got a stopwatch here you got eight seconds to to complete it go you know yeah and I I love you said random and I I I love that kind of approach because I think as soon as we start trying to again out coach ourselves in the creation of these games we start to lose and it holistic we talk about like is a buzzword but like we start to lose that holistic like growing that athlete in all realms of the game and I think sometimes like and we're starting to see it now is like these small-sided games are so specific that it's almost like not small-sided you know like it's not that chaotic right. based anymore like they're working on the same thing over and over again and it's almost back to that three-yard drop of that linebacker rather than working on everything that athlete could work on that he could apply to our sport she could apply to her sport for sure and I've definitely been a culprit of of that myself and I think the best cue I think the best cue you can give an athlete is to not cue him at all like here's what you got to do go do it figure out like figure it out like you said that one day just figure it out man and if you can't do it find a new strategy and figure it out and eventually eventually you will and then you just got to be better than your opponent and find wins you know I like it all right last question before we get to the rapid fire round uh and this yeah. is one I really like asking coaches coach coaches that train like you do yourself because I think that's where you you get that little lab rat experiment and that's where the eye openers usually happen but what kind of has been the biggest eye opener 
to your approach to training recently? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I think the biggest eye opener. Okay. Yeah. Here. So, so I wrote a book. Um, it was like gender in, in sports or something like that. And it was kind of about like, um, the psychological differences between males and females and how they approach physical activity and competition and sport and all that. And what, so one thing that when I'm working with my female athletes, that just drives me insane. And it might not even be true, but it's like my perception is that they're not competitive. And so I put them in these situations, these small sided games, these competitive situations, and they don't look like they are being competitive, competitive. They don't look like they are really trying to win. It almost looks like they're more afraid of hurting their friends' feelings by beating them than actually beating them. You know what I mean? And so I read this book and it kind of talked about females. Oh shit. I don't want to misquote this females. So males, when males are in a group, they bond by beating, beating up on each other. They bond by being competitive. It's like, they want to, they want to make themselves known. They want to be like the alpha to fit in with the group where girls want to fit in with the group before they feel comfortable making themselves known, if that makes sense. And then the other thing with that is that females tend to, and this goes back to the creativity part, females tend to enjoy or embrace the monotonous approach to training and sport much more than males do. And so when I give the females more options, they tighten up because they're like, well, shit, what am I supposed to do? Where guys, you give them more options and it's like, walking down the candy aisle. They don't know. They're like, oh, give me this, give me this, give me that. And so like I've struggled, this is where I've struggled a ton because I give, I give the female athletes a choice. Like we're going to squat today. You can back squat, safety bar squat, split squat, goblet squat, front squat. What like, there's so many variations and then they all do the same thing. And it's like one person kind of decided what squat they're going to do. And everyone else just copied because they don't feel comfortable being the different person. You know what I mean? It's just like a different psychological approach. And I've gotten frustrated, frustrated with it before I kind of learned that like the female psyche and the male psyche are just different. And I mean, it's thousands and thousands of years of like just evolution, like the way we're wired, but um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I guess. Maybe yeah. Not. I mean, that's a, that's a great <laughs> eye opener. I love, I love that little nugget to end it with. Now we can transition. Yeah. Like I just, so, so, Yes. Like sometimes like I give, I give the female athletes all these options and they just don't know what to do. And then I get frustrated and I have to, I have to step back and think like, they're not me. They, they, they're here to play volleyball. They're not here to come lift. And it's always, it's like a good reminder to myself that just, they're not here. They're not here to lift. They're here to play volleyball. You know? And I think having the, that different athlete though, I think, I think that's powerful because like you said, like when, like when I work with the football athletes, like, so some of them are there to lift more than they're there to play football. Yeah. You know, like you, like you have that. I mean, it's, I was kind of like that a little bit. I enjoy training more than practice. Yeah. And it, as a strength coach, like you just sit there and you're like, Oh, this guy's awesome. And it's like, yeah, is, is he awesome? Or is it just super easy to coach him? And he's like a mini right. me of you, you know? And that's, it's just kind of the thought process that goes behind it is, is he the most successful on the field? Like, should we be rewarding that? Like, awesome. I love that. He, he loves everything that we're doing, but maybe we should reward that the athlete that likes being on the field and likes practicing football better. And that like, I go through this like same thought process you're going through is like, 
man, like what, what are we training in with these athletes? What are we rewarding with these athletes? How are we going about this? Like, what does, what is that athlete actually thinking and actually doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't have anything to add beyond that, man. Like I just, I can echo it. <laughs> I like it. We can transition to the rapid fire round now. And you answered this first one uh, already, but maybe, maybe, maybe you have more, maybe you just want to talk about that book more, but what's kind of your favorite books that you think the listeners can get yeah. a lot out of? So, well, I listened to your Mike Boyle podcast last week and he made the comment that like the best books for strength and conditioning coaches aren't always strength and conditioning books. And just made me think like this book drive uh, by Daniel Pink. Um, I read this probably a year and a half ago, maybe, maybe a little bit less, but no, it's like that comment that Mike Boyle said that the best condition, the best books to read aren't always strength and conditioning books. Um, it's probably true. So this book drive by Daniel Pink for sure. But since I already touched on that, I think like game changer was awesome by Fergus Connolly. Uh, like the Franz Bosch book was awesome. Like, I don't know. There's, there's so many, I guess the first, the first book that I read in strength and conditioning was starting strength. And that just opened up so many different avenues for me to go down. Um, so if, if anyone who's listening to this is like, doesn't know where to start. I think I would recommend starting strength just because it's very um, like Mark Ripito really does a good job of just like explaining the anatomy and why he does certain things and why a simple approach works for a lot of people. And then once you get beyond that, then start to delve into other things, you know? I like it. Next question. Who's a guest you think we should have on this podcast to dive into some of these rabbit holes? I think so. Fergus Connolly was awesome to talk to. David Kitchen. I don't know if you know who David Kitchen is. Um, he's a awesome guy to talk to as well. He's more of like a, a leadership motivation kind of guy. Um, I think those two would be awesome to have. Yeah. Boom. I like it. I don't know David Kitchen, so I have to check that out. But Fergus Connolly yeah. is the man. Like oh, you said, yeah. like that game changer book. That I, I love that book. So I, mm. I don't know why I haven't thought of having him on yet. That was. That was you just you were the first person to bring him up. I was like, wow, yeah. Yeah, that's dumb of me. I, I read Game Changer like before this podcast. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, yeah. I gotta dive yeah. back into that. We had him on ours and he was just he was a blast, man. Super humble dude. Um and just awesome to talk to, super humble, very thoughtful, and you like he knows his shit. Like there's no doubt that he knows his shit, which is always cool. Yeah, I like that. All right, next question. What's kind of next for you? Maybe it's a year goal, maybe it's a five-year goal. What's kind of that next big step? Yeah. So I'm actually, so like I said, I do this online training. I've started to um, put out online content for like YouTube and Instagram. Sorry, that's my dog. Barking at the mailman or something. Um, yeah. I've started to put out like content on YouTube. Um, the channel's W2 performance. If anyone wants to look it up, just like three to four minute videos of like anything related to trading. Um, so keep kind of building that brand a little bit, reaching out to coaches, like reaching out to people like you or, uh, Lee Taft, or whoever, just reaching out to coaches and try to make connections. And then I don't have any plans on leaving UND or N4. So like I said, I love it here. Um, stay here and keep building my brand up a little bit, I guess. I like that. I, I hope we get to see each other here shortly. We're moving oh, into yeah. the same, uh, same kind of conference with UST moving up. So we should get yeah. to compete with each other a little Hopefully. bit. Yeah. Next question. And this is when all this uh, brand and all this coaching stuff is over. What do you kind of want your legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you and you accomplished? Yeah. So I was thinking about this and I think what I want my legacy to be is I want people to think, think about me that I don't think I know everything, 
and I'm like humble enough to know or to admit that I don't know, but I'm willing to put my head together with someone else's head to figure out the answers to problems, figure out solutions. Like you ask me a question, dude, sorry, I don't know the answer to that, but you and me, let's come up together. Let's do some research. Let's figure out what the solution is. I guess that would be, that's probably the best answer I can give for that. I like that. And the final pot answer, final question of the podcast here, and this is kind of your, your build more message for somebody that, that is in that Valley kind of wants to get out. Maybe, maybe it's in your role of where you're getting cut and kind of rotating through that NFL thing. And you had to like make that decision to make that next step, but what's kind of your build more message for that somebody? Yeah. Uh, put your nose to the grindstone, man. And like, like we said before, just, just figure out what you need to do and get that job done. Um, and then don't, don't let other people's opinions hold you back. So this kind of stems from, so I've been try, wanting to put out this online content for two years now, probably. And like the reason I wasn't doing it, the reason I wasn't putting stuff out on YouTube or out on Instagram is because like, I always had this in the back of my mind, like, Oh, what if someone's like talking shit about it? What if someone sees it and they're like, oh, what the fuck is Will doing? Like, that's so stupid. You know what I mean? Like, and then I kind of got over that hump and it's like, I don't care if people don't watch it. People that, want to watch it can watch it and people who don't want to don't have to and like I it took me a while to just get over that hump like I'm going to go out and produce my own content and start my own podcast that that Sean and I do and put out put my thoughts out there and if people want to criticize it it doesn't bother me anymore um, just don't let other people's opinions especially because if people have negative opinions of you their opinions probably don't mean anything to you anyway so why worry about it you know um, it's just like, don't let other people's opinions and thoughts hold you back from being yourself, I guess. Hell yeah. That, I, I freaking love that approach, Coach. We did it. <laughs> coach, we did it. We finished it up. Good, good. That was fun, man. I appreciate you. Appreciate you having me on. Like I said, I've been a fan of yours. Listen to your podcast, following you on Instagram. You put, a lot, put out a lot of good information. It helps me out with what I'm doing. Thank you, Coach. Thank you for being on. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.